We're going to look at, uh, turn to our scripture passages tonight. Um, we have a number of scripture passages from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. But hopefully, as I read them, you'll see how they are all connected. Exodus chapter 20, focusing upon the second commandment given, since we are looking at the second commandment tonight in the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 17. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. That's the reading of God's law. Paying attention to the second commandment, which is, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. We're also going to be looking at Numbers chapter 21, verse 4 through 9. Numbers chapter 21, verse 4 through 9. Numbers 21, verse 4 through 9, where we read of the bronze snake. And the Israelites were traveling. And they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. And then finally, 2 Kings chapter 18. 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 1 through 4. 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 1 through 4. 
In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 24 years, 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Neheshtan. And then our New Testament scriptures, John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 1 through 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to, to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're going to be looking at Lord's Day 35 in the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 35 in the Heidelberg Catechism, which is on the second commandment. Question 96 asks, what is God's will for us in the second commandment? And the answer is that we in no way make any image of God, nor worship him in any other way than he has commanded in his word. Question 97 asks, May we then not make any image at all? And the answer is, God cannot and may not be visibly portrayed in any way. Although creatures may be portrayed, yet God forbids making or having such images if one's intention is to worship them or to serve God through them. And question 98. But may not images be permitted in the churches as teaching aids for the unlearned? And the answer is no. We shouldn't try to be wiser than God. He wants his people instructed by the living preaching of his word, not by idols that cannot even talk. That's the teaching of the catechism. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would enlighten your word to us this evening, that we may know the love that you have for us in the giving, us, giving of us, and the giving to us of the second commandment, the call that we should not make any idols create any idols and worship them, but we should have before us only you and what you've given to us, what you've revealed to us, 
It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Reverend Dan Svensson from First CRC here in South Holland uh, said on Facebook recently, and I told him I was going to steal it for my, my sermon. He said, throughout the Old Testament, God's people often sinfully try to offer to God the idols that they have made. And God's response can be summed up as, do not offer to me the vain works of your hands which reduce me to wood and stone. Rather, offer to me the works of my hands. Offer yourself to me, for you are what I have already made to glorify my name. It's interesting to think about that because what Reverend Svensson is getting at is that we are made in the image of God. Um, we are the image of God. And in correlation to that, the perfect expression of the image of God is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we read in the scriptures that Christ is the image of the invisible God, uh, the most perfect representation of God himself. And so we are called not to create something and then present that to God as if he is going to be pleased with us giving him something um, that is a replica or representation uh, of something that he's created. We're to offer it to him ourselves as living sacrifices. So, at the heart of the second commandment is the desire to worship God properly. So our theme tonight, then, is our jealous God. Calls us to worship Him and Spirit. And in truth. And we have three points that relate to that theme. And that this worship is supposed to be exclusive. This worship is supposed to be accurate. And this worship is supposed to be Passionate. Exclusive, accurate, and passionate. So let's look at that first point. If God is calling us to worship Him in spirit and in truth, this worship is to be an exclusive worship. Now we, um, we already talked about how in the first commandment, right, you shall have no other gods before me, that that is an expression of exclusivity. God is calling us to himself and to himself alone in exclusion of all others, forsaking all others. And we talked about what idolatry is. Idolatry is having or inventing something in which one trusts in place of or even alongside of the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. And so many would probably uh, say that uh, the second commandment seems a bit redundant. 
that then, then uh, God would go on to say, you shall not make for yourself an idol in any form, uh, anything in the heaven below or, or the skies above, and that you are to, to, to worship me alone. They're, they seem sort of uh, redundant. So I want us to look at that commandment, verse 4 through 6 in Exodus chapter 20, and talk about it. And God, right after he says, I'm the one who has redeemed you, I'm the one who has brought you out of Egypt, um, out of the land of slavery. And in, and in the New Testament sense, this is God saying, I'm the one who has redeemed you in Jesus Christ, brought you out of the slavery of sin and death. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. And then he says, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. That's why I put this part in, um, in our theme statement. This exclusive expression of worship correlates to who God is. And so often when we think of the, the uh, characteristic of, of jealousy... We think of it as, as, as a negative thing, a negative thing, um, because we as human beings can express jealousy perfectly, and um, we can be possessive in an unhealthy way, but God is the God who has redeemed us. He's made us his own. He's called us to himself, and his desire for us to forsake all others, to not make an idol is because he is jealous for us, for, our, for what he has created. Um, he is a jealous God who desires all of us and does not want us to give ourselves and our passions and our energies to anything else. And as the one who has created us and whom we properly belong to, this jealousy is a, a perfect jealousy. It's a holy jealousy. It's a jealousy that's, that's properly displayed. And so when we hear that God is a jealous God, we hear a God who is possessive over us. And it's a God that we want to be possessive over us. It's one who is angered when we turn and we have or invent anything in which one trusts in place of or alongside of the only true God. And God desires to be worshipped exclusively. He will not be worshipped alongside of um, anything that we create. Um, and I would say not only in the form of objects, but uh, in our minds. Anything that we create in our minds. And God is jealous for us and for our worship. In fact, it's such a strong statement of God's jealousy for exclusive worship that he says, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is an expression of generational um, downfall that happens even in the lives 
of the Israelites themselves when they turn from God to idols. And this is something that we see expressed in the history of Israel. That's why I mentioned for us in our reading Numbers 21 and 2 Kings 18. Numbers 21 and 2 Kings 18 talk to us about the bronze serpent, right? And what's, what's interesting about examining the bronze serpent in correlation to the exclusivity of God's desire for our worship is that this is something God ordained. God, in his wrath, was punishing the Israelites for speaking out against him and against Moses. And so he sends these fiery serpents among the Israelites, and they begin to bite the Israelites, and the Israelites were dying. And so they cried out to God, they cried out to Moses, they cried out to, to the Lord. And the Lord said, create this bronze serpent, right? And put it up on a pole, and anyone who looks to the bronze serpent will be saved. If they're bitten, they look to the bronze serpent, then the poison won't kill them. And so we say to ourselves in that moment um, that God is... Uh, a, a righteous God, a wrathful God, a jealous God uh, for the exclusive worship of, of, of his people. But at the same time, he is a graceful God, a merciful God who's extending uh, mercy and grace to them. And he does not consume them. He does not take them. He does not wipe them out, right? Um, and he provides for them a way out of this judgment, this wrath, this death that is coming upon them in the bronze serpent. But you fast forward into the history of Israel and in the reign of Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 18. And you hear in 2 Kings chapter 18 that the people of Israel had kept this bronze serpent. They had named it. And that they were offering pagan incense to it. And it's just like uh, Reverend Svensson had said. They're, they're trying to simply offer the idols that they had made to God as if God would be pleased with them. Something God provided, something God commanded to be created, something that God gave them to uh, save them from the death that was coming upon them. They had turned in their minds into, created into an idol. And I think that's important for us to understand because I think so often in our day and age when we, we talk about the second commandment, we think to ourselves, well, we're not these simple folks who, who would create um, images of Jesus and then those images of Jesus or, or that we would have these depictions um, would turn our hearts away from God in any way. We're, we're not these simple people who would actually think that that's actually Jesus and that it would distort our view or understanding of Jesus um, you know, we, we're, we're not like that. And here we have something that God commanded to be built and made that was good and used for saving the people of Israel who they then kept. And then the worship that was brought to it became distorted and it turned into an idol. So I think we have to be careful what we think that we're capable of. Um, that it's very easy that we could have our worship be distorted um, by images that we create that seek to depict what cannot be depicted. What is God's will for us in the second commandment? That we in no way make any image of God. 
Why? Because we are the image of God. Nor worship him in any other way than he has commanded in his word. God calls us to worship him as he has commanded us. The bronze serpent being made, nothing wrong with that. God commanded it. People looking to it when they were bit by these fiery serpents to be saved from the poison, nothing wrong with that. The keeping of this bronze serpent, the naming of this bronze serpent, the burning of incense to this bronze serpent, that was not commanded of God. That was not worshiping him in accordance with his commandment. So the exclusivity of worshiping God is tied to the way that God has told us he desires to be worshiped in his word. There's also the question of accuracy, right? None of us are going to worship God perfectly, but we are called... worship him accurately. Question 97. May we then not make any image at all? This is really a question about should we not have art at all? Should we not have uh, depictions of anything? And the answer to that comes in two parts. The first is that uh, no images of God And the Westminster Confession of Faith takes that to mean no images of the three persons of of the Trinity should be created. Uh, God cannot may not be visibly portrayed in any way. Um, The way that John understands this, Jesus understands this in John's Gospel is that God is spirit. How can you depict, portray spirit? But it does say, the Catechism does say, although creatures may be portrayed, bronze serpent is a great example of that. Although creatures may be portrayed, God commanded creation of a bronze serpent that was placed up upon a pole. God forbids making or having such images if one's intention is to worship them. So it wasn't the creation of the bronze serpent that that the people of Israel went wrong. It's the worship of the bronze serpent. And see, the the, the funny thing, I think, the thing that we have to be careful about is that I don't think any of us creates images nowadays with the intention of worshiping them or serving God through them. Um, uh, But our hearts can be so easily turned towards Seeing rather than believing. Right? Our hearts can be so easily turned in our visual culture to want to have something that we can focus upon rather than God's word. Something that we can uh, uh, meditate on and, and visualize in our day and age. We want something that... that makes it more real to us. But the way that God has revealed himself is not through a movie. It's not in a beautiful painting or a picture. It's not any of those things. God has revealed himself through his word. 
And so if we desire to worship God accurately, we cannot do it through any visible image. Every visible image that we create, even of Jesus, is false. It's not accurate. It's a lie. But when we read in God's word about Jesus, what he said, what he taught, what he came to do, who he is, that is the truth. That is accurate. Creatures may be portrayed, yet God forbids making or having such images if one's intention is to worship them or to serve God through them. Romans chapter 1 is insightful to us about the human heart when it comes to idolatry. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than creator who is forever praised. Amen. That, in essence, is what idolatry is. It's what... um, what making an image is about. It's worshiping creature over creator. It's exchanging creature for creator. And in our day and age, those idols, they don't look like bronze statues. They don't look like Asherah poles. They don't look like even in the Native American culture, totem poles or anything like that. In our day and age, oftentimes, our idols are much more sly, are much more about our passions and our desires. If you want to see idolatry taken to its extreme, then you look at the way people say, I don't care what God has said about the way he's created me. I choose my own gender. I choose my own look. I choose my own sexual orientation. I am my own God. I worship myself. I am my final arbiter of all things. That is idolatry taken to its extreme. But if we are to worship our jealous God who is calling us to worship him in spirit and in truth, when John chapter 4 talks about this, and we're to do so accurately, we have to understand it will not be accomplished by trying to imaging God, try to image God in any way. It can only be accomplished. If we worship him in the way that he has commanded us to in his word, in spirit, and in truth.
It's interesting to note that as Scripture and the narrative of redemptive history move forward, and as we see that story of the bronze serpent commanded by God to be created, provided for the people of Israel as a, a way of salvation from the poisonous snakes that were biting them and killing them, then was kept and twisted and became an expression of idolatry in their uh, later days, in the days of Hezekiah the king, to find that Jesus was not afraid or not ashamed to show and to point to the fact that ultimately he was the fulfillment of that bronze serpent. And in his conversation with Nicodemus, he said, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. As I said earlier, the most accurate way for us to worship God is to look at the image of the invisible God. Christ Jesus. The one who said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The one that we are told in Hebrews chapter 1 is the final prophet, the last word from God, who is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus is the bronze serpent lifted up. And if Jesus is the bronze serpent that was lifted up, then the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we doing a disservice to our people by creating crucifixes? that represent that moment, that can turn people's hearts away from the true Christ. Just like the Israelites kept the bronze serpent and later gave worship and burned incense to it and became an idol. Christ Jesus is the image of the invisible God and it's the image of the invisible God that we are being now conformed to. God has given us a clear revelation of who he is. And he did not do that by snapping a picture and saving it for us. He gave us his word. And in that word, we come to see Christ as a perfect representation of his being. Accurate worship is Christ-centered worship, is Christ-centric. Accurate worship is a worship that points to Christ, glorifies Christ, honors Christ. Our final point is that worship should be given passionately. 
Question 98 has a lot to do with the time in which the Heidelberg Catechism was written when people were illiterate. They did not know how to read, and so they, uh, they could not get into, dig into, dive into the Word of God. In fact, you could say that the reason why there's such an emphasis upon literacy in our world, in our day and age, is because of the desire that all people would be able to read God's Word for themselves. And that's why we as Christian people need to be concerned about literacy. We as Christian people need to make sure that we're not overly focused on visual stimuli. We need to be people who are teaching us, teaching our kids and our children how to think critically and read and understand things. We're people of the word. And so the question given in question 98 is, is, is a question of pragmatism. Can't we use images? Can't we use pictures, flannel graphs, and, and uh, little figurines and little uh, comical pictures of, of, um, you know, of God and Jesus as teaching tools for the unlearned? And the answer is no. We shouldn't be wiser than God. Don't you get it? That's really what we're saying when we say we want to use images in our worship is that we're saying that we're smarter than God, we're wiser than God. God commanded us, second commandment, you shall not make an idol. And we go ahead and we make an image, and we think that we're wiser than God. We think that we know better than God. We think these are, are good tools, and we're going to use them. Uh, he wants us some people instructed by the living preaching of the word. And I would even add the visible, the visible representation of the word in um, baptism and the Lord's Supper. The word and the sacraments. And why do I say this worship should be passionate? Is because there's an emphasis in the Heidelberg Catechism on the living preaching of the word. It's not meant to be this dead, boring, monotone expression where everyone is simply just hoping for it to be over anytime soon. It's just dragging on. It's supposed to be a lively preaching, a passionate preaching. This is God's word. This is God's revelation. This is how he has shown us who he is. And when we open it and when we read it, we are reading what we know to be the truth, the only thing that we can read with utter confidence in this world that is true is God's preserved, holy, infallible, and inerrant word. And when God gave us this, he gave us himself. He gave us who he is. He gave us a revelation of himself. He stooped down to us. And he let us in. And this is sufficient information that we need to know, but God is so much more than what he's revealed himself to us in this. He's revealed himself to us, but the secret things belong to the Lord. 
May not images be permitted in the, teach, in the churches as teaching aids for the unlearned? No, we are not wiser than God. God wants his people taught by the lively passion and preaching of the word and administration of the sacraments. That is what God has given to his people to show who God is. To point to the fact that God wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. The Holy Spirit, the truth, who is Jesus Christ, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're to worship them passionately and we don't need images to do that. We don't need smoke machines and lights and, and any of those things to do that. God has given us everything we need here in his word that he enlightens us by his spirit so that we may know his son, Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. That bronze serpent created by God as a, an act of mercy and grace to the people who were so hard-hearted and grumbling against him and against Moses. God said, make a bronze serpent, stick it up on a pole. Anybody who looks to it will be saved. And the people, they took that bronze serpent, which had saved them so many years ago, and they kept it and they began to worship it as an idol and burn incense to it. And Hezekiah, who was a man after God's own heart, like David, came in and he destroyed it because he saw how God's jealousy was enraged against it. God desires exclusive worship. He desires to possess us and does not want us to give ourselves to another. And then down the road, we hear again about this bronze serpent and the words of Jesus Christ and Nicodemus who came to him at night. And Nicodemus asked him, and Jesus said, I'm the bronze serpent. The Son of Man shall also be lifted up, and anybody who looks to him and believes will be saved. And Jesus is that image of the invisible God. He is the perfect representation of who God is. And it's in seeing Jesus and believing in him that we are now being conformed to that image. And so we have to ask ourselves, what are we trying to present to God that's not giving him true worship, honor, and glory? When what we have to give to him is ourselves. The Old Testament, God's people often tried to offer to God the idols that they had made. And Reverend Spencer said, this is how God responds, don't offer to me the works of your hands which reduce me to wood and stone. Offer me the works of my hands. Offer yourself to me for you are what I have already made to glorify my name. And that's why I want to close tonight with Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 tells us 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Our jealous God causes us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the word tonight. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to worship you exclusively, accurately, and passionately. That your spirit would enable us to see you and your word in Jesus Christ, your son, who is the way, the truth, and the life. We ask this in his name. Amen.